Hey everybody, happy holidays. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. This week on the show, we've got Pat O'Brien, the Chief Revenue Officer of Xylotech. Pat is going to talk to us about essentially what happens when you take on a senior leadership position uh, at a very early stage company and how you think about growing and scaling that organization. And particularly when you're doing that, when you've had previous experience running larger teams, different teams with a number of different exits. And Pat's uh, experience in sales over the last 30 years, plus his willingness to sort of embrace and jump into an early stage company and start forming the sales process is really interesting stuff. And I hope you get a lot out of it. So uh, before we get to the interview, though, we want to thank our sponsors. We've got two sponsors on the show today. The first is DocuSign. Every sales org feels the pressure to close deals faster. Take control of your sales process. Do you hear me? You're out there listening. You're on holiday. You're on vacation. You closed out the year great, but you are out of control. So you need to take control, my friend. Take control with the DocuSign Agreement Cloud, a suite of tools that automate sales contracts and quotes all in your CRM. Create custom contracts, get them signed and pull data back into your opportunities. See why more than half a million businesses use DocuSign with a free trial and discount exclusively for Sales Hacker listeners. Go to go.docusign.com forward slash Sales Hacker. Second sponsor is Outreach. That's Outreach.io, the leading sales engagement platform. Outreach supports sales reps by enabling them to humanize communications at scale. From automating the soul-sucking manual work that eats up selling time to providing action-oriented tips on what communications are working best, Outreach has your back. Before we get to the interview, a couple kind of end-of-year holiday thoughts. The first is that I was in a lot of bands over the course of my 20s and 30s, and there was another band that I was not in, a band called Wormburner. And I don't, uh, I don't think the name is fantastic, but the songs that Hank and the team have written over at Wormburner uh, can be really, really great. But one of my favorite songs, a legendary song, is a song called The Bells of St. Ignatius by the band Wormburner. It is my favorite new holiday slash Christmas song. I'm Jewish, but holiday slash Christmas song that I've heard in, I don't know, my life, I guess, because most of them are, are traditional songs. This one was written you know, probably at this point, 10 or 15 years ago, but, but it is a newer song. It's fantastic. And, uh, and Hank does a really, really great job singing those vocals. So check it out on Spotify. That's kind of thing. Number one thing. Number two is we are closing out our holiday charity drive for revenue collective for every person that applies to revenue collective, either in our executive program or our associate program. And we're now over a thousand members worldwide across executives and associates. We're going to donate $50 for every applicant who is referred by a member. $50 for every applicant to, to Habitat for Humanity. I'm recording this on December 11th. We've already raised over $5,500, which is, you know, not not the world's largest amount, but it's a lot for us. We've already raised over $5,500 for charity. We are on pace to hopefully raise $15,000. We're going to go down to the bank and get one of those big checks printed out, hopefully, and give it to Habitat for Humanity to help them build houses for the homeless or people without homes. But point is, if you know anybody in Revenue Collective, now is the time to apply. The dues are going up on January 1st, all kinds of reasons. But it's been an incredible year. We've gone from 90 people just in New York a year ago to over a thousand people in virtually every city in the world where there is a startup ecosystem, where there are high growth companies looking to scale. So it's been an incredible year. But if you want to apply, this is the month where we're donating money to charity for every applicant, regardless of whether you are accepted or when you are accepted. So we just want to write a really big check to have that for humanity. That's what's going on on my front. Meanwhile, go to Spotify, check out the Bells of St. Ignatius 
The band is called Wormburner. It's not my band. Usually I'm promoting my bands. I'm not doing that this time. Thanking DocuSign and Outreach for their support. Let's listen to Pat O'Brien and hope you enjoy the interview. Hey everybody, Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. We are excited today to have Pat O'Brien on the show. Pat's the Chief Revenue Officer for Xylotech, heading up sales, marketing, and business development. Pat spent many years building and scaling large and small teams and companies. He's been through two successful exits with LinkedIn and Dun & Bradstreet. He's also been on the early leadership teams of more than a half dozen successful internet advertising and marketing startups. He holds an MA in Publishing and Design Management from the University of Baltimore. Pat, welcome to the show. Welcome. That makes you sound pretty good. <laughs> so, we're uh, that is our goal. Our goal is to make you sound re- reasonably good. Reasonably good. So, reasonably. I will keep working on it. We like to start the show with the baseball card and basically give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about Xylotech and about the growth of that company, and then we'll dive into your background. So, first, what is Xylotech? Give us, give us the, uh, give us the pitch. Yeah, Xylotech is what's considered a customer data platform or CDP. We are focused entirely in the, uh, in the B2B sector, primarily on the high-tech vertical, but also looking at financial services and some other verticals. Uh, our clients are pretty impressive. They include Google, Cisco, Palo Alto Networks, and others. Uh, the company's been around for about three and a half years. But for the first two, two and a half years, uh, they were pretty quiet, really focusing on building a rock-solid product. I'd like to say this company was uh, you know, born as a CDP and has only ever been a CDP. It didn't pivot from some other space. And we've only taken a little bit of financing that was last November, which helped us bring on some additional headcount, including myself. We'll probably take some more financing in the upcoming year. We currently have about 50 employees in three different locations. And um, yeah, right now, life is good. And uh, am I correct that the word on the street is you're north of 10 million in ARR? Is that right? Yeah, but I can't give you an exact number. That's fair. But nevertheless, we know that you're north of that number and you've only raised five and a half million. So it sounds like given uh, the profile of your customers that you guys are doing something good because you've got great enterprise customers. You haven't raised that much money, but you've got a a meaningful uh, revenue footprint. Sound accurate? (laughs) Yeah, which is exactly why I'm sitting here today. (laughs) <laughs> Good. Sounds like you know how to pick them. So let's, let's, well, first of all, one of my questions is what is a CDP? What is a customer data platform? Tell us what that means. Sure. So customer data platform is basically a platform that brings together very siloed data sources within a company. So the idea of the CDP is to bring together information that might sit in sales, might sit in marketing, when I say sales, sales could be inside sales, outside sales, partner sales, on and on, retail. So to bring in data from both sales or from all of sales, marketing, and uh, customer experience, to give that data a single ID so it can be recognized across the organization, give the, uh, in most cases, the marketing and the sales group uh, an opportunity or the chance to run various models and understand what the data is telling them and who's likely to do their uh, who's likely to be their next best customer or the next best prospect, and then take action on that data. So send it out to you know, LinkedIn, if it's a social media campaign, or to their DSP of choice, say a trade desk, if it's a display ad, or into Marketo, if it's an email marketing campaign or whatever. We have integrations with about 120 other vendors. So um, yeah, the, the, the usage of the data can be pretty widespread. 
Interesting. Yeah. And so are you selling to companies that themselves are B2C or they, they can be selling to businesses too? Obviously you are a B2B company, but does it matter who their customers are? No, not really. I mean, if you think about it, you know, we will talk to companies, uh, insurance companies who might ultimately be selling, well, who would be selling to a broker, or in some cases we'll talk to a company that's selling to a franchise and then they sell to the consumer. So we're not working ultimately with the consumer data in most cases. We're working with that extended sales channel. Understood. So well, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you end up as the CRO of Xylotech? How did you discover the company, particularly since it sounds like you know, with only one round of financing, they might not be you know, on everybody's radar? Yeah, no, good question. So I was at Dun & Bradstreet for about four years. The previous company, Net Prospects, was sold to Dun & Bradstreet. And then in December, DMB, if you remember, DMB was sold to uh, an investment house, and um, it was just time for me to move on. And the idea of working for a company that size, you know, I don't want to say anything disparaging at DMB. I love the folks over there, but a company that size really kind of drained my soul dry. I am not <laughs> sitting in meetings and having a meeting to plan another meeting and moving relatively slow. I like to make decisions and move quickly and make things happen. So I wasn't doing much of anything. I was just relaxing. And I got a call from, actually a text while I was down in Florida from my ex-CEO at DMB, who at the time was a mentor of mine. If I can, I'd like to mention his name, Bob Kerrigan, a fantastic individual. He was the head of IDG and the head of uh, the IEB in New York for a while. Anyway, Bob said, hey, uh, I've got this company. I might be investing in it. You should look into it. So he gave me the founder's name, and I came out here and spent probably no more than 30 minutes with Avi Yadav, the founder, and was blown away by what he had, well, blown away by him, his intelligence. He comes out of MIT and his humility, and uh, also blown away by the product and the product team. What they were missing were pretty obvious components, things like a quality team, a marketing team, a quality PR firm. So as somebody who had been through a couple of these startups, I looked around and said, well, there's a lot of things broken here but nothing can't be fixed. And if the product is rock solid, then that's the most important thing. It's easy to fix a broken sales machine. It's not easy to fix a broken product. So like you mentioned earlier, I looked at the financials in terms of the money they wrote, they've uh, raised and the customers that they had. And I thought, hey, this sounds like a pretty good bet. So uh, I'm in about my seventh month here. And it sounds like you're happy. Happy, tired, frustrated, worn out, excited, <laughs> all the emotions that come with the startup, which keeps you coming back. It's like, I don't play golf, but when I think of playing golf, whenever I have, I am constantly hitting lousy shots and shanking it. But every once in a while, I hit a really good shot that keeps me coming back. And it's like that here. You know, one minute you have a great call with a great client and that gets you through the next 10 mediocre calls and the next five bad calls until you get to that next good call. You just got to keep calling. I think that's a perfect metaphor. And uh, anybody that's worked in, in startups or high growth environments, that's the trade-off, right? We're trading uh, endless stupid meetings for massive highs and lows of existential delight and failure of, is the company going to be around tomorrow? And maybe we'll be the next IPO company. Well, much better said than I, yes. <laughs> so Abi Yadav, is, is this, where's the company based? Is it based in Boston or is it sounds like maybe Abi is uh, uh, an Israeli? Is it a Tel Aviv company? No, 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 no. Uh, Abi's actually from India and uh, we are based in Cambridge. We sit on Mass Ave halfway between MIT and Harvard, although I'm a proud uh, 
graduate of the state school system out of Baltimore, Maryland. I didn't go to either Harvard or MIT, but I like to say that so people think I did. Um, <laughs> Makes and, sense. Uh, Abhi is the founder, um, along with his co-founder, both out of India. Uh, we have uh, operations over there. In fact, Abhi's over there now. And um, then we just started uh, or just opened an office out in California. And then we've got this. And then New York will probably be our next expansion. Awesome. Well, we, I'm recording this from New York, so we, we look forward to your arrival. But before we dive into some of the subject matter, because what I think you know, we'll spend a, a bit of time talking about is this concept of revenue operations, which I think is super important, which you've written a little bit about. Our listeners always want to know, you know how, did you, how does one become a CRO? How does one find their way through multiple successful exits as you have? You came out of the you know, University of Baltimore with, a, I think, a degree I read in, in publishing. So how did you end up in sales? Walk us through a little bit of your career journey. Uh, sure. Well, I've been around for a while. So that at the time, the master's in publishing was when magazines were still around. And I was hired by a company called Ziff Davis Publishing and worked for them. So my first job out of college was to work for a startup magazine of Ziff, for Ziff Davis in the high tech space. I needed to make money, so I went right into sales, and it was just something that I really enjoyed. It was not what I thought it would be. It was a lot of getting to know people, to use psychology to understand what makes people tick, and to really kind of get beyond what I thought a salesperson would be, and I enjoyed it and happened to be successful with it. So anyway, from there, uh, at Ziff Davis, we helped found... Uh, ZDNet, which was their first website. We later sold that to CNET and then to CBSI and then did another startup in advertising. Again, I was on the sales and biz dev side with a couple of folks out of an old company called Lotus Development here in Cambridge. And uh, that was actually very successful. Uh, we sold that to a company called At Home Cable. And then I crashed and burned a couple of startups. I think I, think I learned more from the failures that I learned from the successes. And then was fortunate to have a few successes recently, and uh, but it had never gotten to the C level, and I quite honestly had never aspired to be a CRO, a CEO, whatever, and never aspired to kind of own my own company, right? I didn't want the whole thing. I knew what I could do. I knew I could do it better than anybody else, I believe, and that's what I wanted to focus on. So the CRO, the CRO title here is, you know, it's a nice addition, but really. I don't get hung up on titles and Abby runs product. I run the sales side, whatever that might happen to be. And, and that's, that's how we go to market. How did you figure out that you didn't want to be a CRO? So many people that I interact with, you know, the, the CRO is their destination and their goal for their career. What was your thinking around, you know, not having that aspiration? And when you said you thought you were the best at what you did, did you mean just being a great individual contributor and selling, you know, really, really large enterprise deals and closing big business? Yes, although that that sounds kind of bragging. Uh, yes, but then I also really enjoyed uh, managing teams. But I'm not a product guy, and I don't know, you know, I'm not an engineer. I'm not an engineer by trade. So I know I could never really run the product. So I have to have a really good partner on the product side. I also want somebody who I can constantly, a, a sounding board, who I can constantly check my ideas with and likewise check their ideas. So I never wanted to go it alone, which is why I never really wanted to be a CEO. But when I found Avi, I thought, well, he's the right combination of uh, product guy, uh, humble guy. 
to give me all the flexibility I wanted and needed in terms of running the business side of the house, but then also was smart enough to say, you know, tell me when I'm right and tell me when I'm wrong or tell me when he thinks he has a better idea. And sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't, quite honestly. So that's why I really enjoy, you know, the space. I, I don't aspire to be a C-suite individual just for the sake of being a C-suite individual. You know, we've made money and things are happy and, you know, life is good. So I just want to enjoy my, uh, enjoy my career. What's been the biggest surprise as you've, you know, rejoined the startup world seven months into to the company? Is there something that's sort of taken you by surprise or, you know, the, the ups and downs and the wins and losses are all part of sort of what you expected when you came back into, you know, the early stage world? Yeah. So a lot of what I expected, although being at Denham Bradstreet over the past four years, DMB gives you a lot of uh, name credibility. So you can get into pretty much any door with the name Dun & Bradstreet, and then you just have to explain to them what you do. In my case, I ran the digital data division within Dun & Bradstreet, which was brand new, so that posed challenges. But again, DMB is a, is a great name and a great door opener. The challenge that I'm having here is, and you mentioned it earlier in the podcast, you know, what is Xylotech? Who are you guys? Where do you sit? What is a CDP? So there's a lot of that education up front that just in the door. And then from there, then we could talk about the value that we add, the product that we have, the services that we offer, that kind of stuff. But cutting through the clutter and all the marketing hype and, my God, all the acronyms and everything is, um, is really difficult. I'm finding it, it just com- seems to compound more and more every day. Well, uh, you know, you, you guys are making progress clearly. So, you know, we wish you the best. One of the things that, that you've talked about that you've written about is this concept of revenue operations. So I, I guess, first of all, let's talk about that a little bit because it is a, is a hot buzzword. I've actually, I was talking to somebody yesterday. This is, this is a true data point. Right now in San Francisco, and we're recording this in early December, a VP of revenue operations base salary market is $275,000 a year. So this is clearly a very hot space. Now it's lower in New York and Boston, I think, actually. But, but it is. I'll tell you for a fact it is. <laughs> Fair enough. This episode of the Sales Hacker Podcast is brought to you by DocuSign. Every sales org feels the pressure to close deals faster. Take control with the DocuSign Agreement Cloud, a suite of tools that automate sales contracts and quotes all in your CRM. Create custom contracts, get them signed, and pull data back into your opportunities. See why more than half a million businesses use DocuSign with a free trial and discount exclusively for Sales Hacker listeners. Go to go.docusign.com forward slash sales hacker for more information. Our second sponsor is Outreach, the leading sales engagement platform. Outreach supports sales reps by enabling them to humanize their communications at scale, from automating the soul-sucking manual work that eats up selling time to providing action-oriented tips on what communications are working best. Outreach has your back. And now, back to the show. I have two questions. What is revenue operations from your perspective? So help us define the subject matter and then tell us why you think it's important. Why do you care? I, I assume it's it's related to the work that Xylotech does, but walk us through why you think it's important. Yeah, you know what? Let me give you a really simple, basic example that happened to me about an hour ago, right before getting on this podcast. And I think that'd be great. So I signed up for the enterprise edition. I won't mention the products or the company, but I signed up for an enterprise edition of a marketing automation system. And 
Uh, we had the lower price model. I signed up for the enterprise model, so it was a substantial increase in fees. Did this about three weeks ago. Well, signed up for it, signed the contract, had expected to get going by the end of the year, didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything, contacted them. They said, oh, your account had been shifted to California because we have some type of California address on you. Well, no, that's not correct. So then they got me here in New England, reassigned to a New England uh, onboarding specialist, who then sent out the invite to a company that I worked for 10 years ago and to my personal email address, which I don't really check all that much because it gets spammed like crazy. So I missed that. So another week went by. So then I finally complained to the sales rep, who then finally got me connected to the right onboarding specialist. And now I'm paying for a product or have been paying for a product that's probably going to be about five to six weeks before I get into actually using the functionality. So needless to say, I'm not very happy. So what does that have to do with the CDP? Well, the whole idea of a CDP is to make sure that the teams that are running sales and the teams that are running management and the teams that are running onboarding and customer success all are working off a common set of data. So it's telling that this marketing automation system company didn't have a common set of data, but they had a company name and address for me that was 10 years old, an email address from the personal side from my Comcast address, not sure where that came from, and then um, a physical office location in California. So it just completely wreaked havoc. And not only did it put a bad taste in my mouth about the company, it uh, delayed my implementation. So with a customer data platform, what we do is we try to normalize the data. We set KPIs across all the organization, sales, marketing, and customer experience or customer success, common goals, common metrics, and it makes it easier for everybody to both attain and for management to judge if everybody's in alignment with a single goal. Another quick example, and it comes from one of our customers, but again, I don't want to mention the name. When I first showed up to talk to him, he said, look, Pat, don't hit me with all the jargon about a CDP and what you guys do. Here's my problem. I got three things. One, my sale, the data that my sales team is using is lousy. It's really horrible. And it's, on their, own, it's their own fault because they put in bad data. Second, when they boot up their computers on a Monday morning, they don't know who to call because they have nothing uh, that prioritizes. Uh, is this a likely customer or not a likely customer? And then third, and lastly, even if the data was good and I knew who to contact, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to reach out and get that data um, and those action items into a DSP, a DMP, into my Marketo or Eloqua system, what have you. If you could do those three things, if a CDP can make sure my data is clean, make sure I can prioritize opportunity and be actionable across any media that I want to promote my product in, then that will make sense to me. And I thought, well, there you go. I don't have to pitch or present. That's exactly what we do in a nutshell. Are you equating revenue operations with a CDP? I'm just trying to understand because I know you've, been, you've written about RevOps. Are they the same thing from your perspective? Are they different? How do they relate to each other? From a RevOps standpoint, when we look at, uh, so I don't get measured by sales, right? I get measured by revenue. And revenue operations is taking a look at not only the sale, but it's the upsell or cross-sell that might come from, say, the customer experience team. It's from the opportunities that might come from the marketing team. It may come from the renewal that would come from the sales team or from new sales opportunities that would come from 
a partner sales channel. So when we talk about revenue, we talk about it in a holistic fashion that says everything that touches a customer and everything that might lead to a dollar being attributable from a, a particular customer transaction, that's what we call revenue. So not just sales, not just marketing, not just customer success, all three of those components. And then the subsets underneath those components are all what drive the revenue for the company. So your point is revenue operations and customer data platforms are connected in the sense that revenue operations is a holistic view on how revenue is generated and customer data platforms provide a holistic view on the customer, which is necessary to drive revenue across the organization, aligning sales, marketing, customer success. Do I have that correct? Yes. And the KPIs and the success metrics aren't separate for marketing, aren't separate for sales, aren't separate for customer experience. They're all unified and they're all accessible through the CDP. Got it. So the CDP is, in a sense, a tool of the revenue of the head of revenue operations. That's the connection that we should make. Uh, correct. Got it. Understood. Okay. Let's let me ask you a question related to revenue operations because there is a lot of confusion around what it means. So. Take a company like Xylotech, but it doesn't have to be, right? So Series A company has a great product. Customers are signing up. There's a totally broken sales process, or there is no sales process. There's crap data in the CRM. You know, there's no sell, there's no sophisticated kind of like stage-driven uh, opportunity management. There's not a bunch of target lists for people to call on. And you hire, uh, you want to build a revenue operations function, putting aside whether they, you know, purchase your platform or other platforms, but speaking specifically about like the tasks, what's the first thing that a head of revenue operations should help an organization do to get their house in order so that they can drive revenue holistically? Yeah. So step one, paramount, step one is uh, accurate data. So um, an accurate data of first party. So if you think about it, what happens oftentimes is a campaign is about ready to be launched an event or a show is about ready to happen. And all of a sudden, there's a knee-jerk reaction, usually from marketing, but not always, but usually from marketing that says, we need to buy a list. We need a new list. What we have isn't good enough. We don't trust our own data, so we want to go out to a third party. For some reason, they seem to think third-party data is better or cleaner than what they have. And what they're actually doing is exasperating the problem. So they're just taking data that is not accurate or not as accurate as they would like and add it to their existing data. So now they've got duplicates, they got mixed records, they've got overlap, and they've incurred cost. So what we say to companies is, first and foremost, make sure your data is accurate. And in fact, what we did with the CD, with our CDP was break it out into modules. So we talk about the benefits of the entire platform. And a lot of companies will say, that's where I want to get to, but I'm not ready for it yet, or I'm not there yet. And we say, okay, well, we can help you today. We can help you on the data enrichment uh, and data enhancement aspect of it. And generally what that does is uh, it's something that uh, they could buy into. They see immediate value. It builds trust between us and the client. And then that leads to um, you know, larger engagement down the road, not only with our platform, but then uh, cross engagements throughout the, organ throughout the organization in, um, you know, in various sales units or various geographic locations. So, step Got it. First, so getting good data is step one. Step one, good data, correct. Understood. 
Let me ask you about sort of sales just generally. You've been selling for a long time. What do you what do you see as the biggest trends these days and just how to go to market? Are you coaching your reps on the on the Xylotech team with different strategies, different tools, different ideas about how to get somebody's attention and how to how to engage a prospect than maybe when you started, you know, 20 years ago? Oh yeah, absolutely. So when I started 20 years ago, we had call scripts, we had pitches. It was typical, right? Exactly what you would expect. And a lot, a lot of cold calling. So at this point, what we try to do is engage more in a conversation. When I landed here, what I found was that we were talking to a lot of companies that we shouldn't have been talking to. And we had to be honest with ourselves to say, that's not really a good prospect. Or the sales rep would say, well, I've been talking to them for nine months and they're going to come in next month. And then month 10 would pass and they would say, well, they're going to come in next month. And we were just, or they were just fooling themselves. So I counseled the, um, you know, my team to a, you know, be honest with yourself, uh, be ready to walk away, really make sure that you profile a client well, make sure that they fit our vertical and that the profile or the persona that you're going after is uh, uh, solid and what you want to be targeting. Do your homework around that particular individual, and there's so many tools out there now to do that, and then lead them into a discussion. Because realize that, and we talked about this earlier, all the acronyms that are out there, uh, is RevOps a buzzword? Is CDP a buzzword? A company that was a tag management system two years ago is now a CDP. Who knows what they'll be next year? Companies are getting bought and sold. There's just, if I were a marketer making a buying decision, I think my head would be spinning. So we just try to be normal and have uh, make sure we talk to the right person and have a good conversation about their specific needs and the timing around their needs. And then um, if we can uh, help them out and fit the bill, that's great. If not, then um, you know we continue to nurture them and we'll get back to them uh, when the timing is right on their end. How do you balance the tension between aggressive disqualification and focusing on the right persona with very, I would imagine, you know, significant growth expectations on the revenue side from, you know, the CEO and the board level. And, you know, particularly for a company that few people have heard of, when you're trying to create brand awareness and brand recognition, I'm sure some of your reps are in conversation saying, I understand that you're telling me these aren't a good fit, but I don't have, you know, 200 people to talk to. And these people are willing to talk to me. What advice do you give the rep in that, in that instance? Well, again, if they're not a good fit, you got to walk away. We have a relatively small sales team. won't tell you the size, but if you think about the B2B high-tech sector, there is more than enough opportunity. So I don't have a sales rep that can look me straight in the eye and say, I just don't have enough people to call or I just can't find enough prospects. I'll work with them in terms of how we get to them. And we do it a lot through connections and you know, we, leverage, um, we leverage our board. Uh, we leverage you know, my network, Avi's network, and so forth. But there's way too many uh, opportunities out there uh, for us to be talking to the uh, talking to the wrong person. So that's the one strategy, and that's getting new labels. And as I mentioned, a lot of times the new labels doesn't mean selling the entire platform, which you know is a, a six-figure-plus deal, but it might mean selling a much smaller deal just to build trust, just to get the, the traffic flowing, if you will, and um, to deliver value for the client. The second component is going after or targeting our existing business. Somebody told me a long time ago that you know the best place to, to get money is from those who are already giving it to you. So if you think of a large company like a Google, 
there's so many different aspects of where we could be talking to them and uh, we're not everywhere. So that's the other aspect of how we can build sales is by um, that land and expand strategy that people, uh, you know, that most people know. Makes sense. When you're, when you're thinking about setting growth targets for a company that is so early stage, how do you think about that? Particularly if you're still trying to figure out what all of your key metrics are, how do you set a quota for a rep when, you know, it's not quite clear what is the average deal size and what is the average sales cycle length? How do you think about doing that in a way that still incents the, the team to go and do great things without setting, you know, unrealistic targets and goals? Yeah, really good question. So when I walked into this, there were already numbers established and uh, that made it difficult because there was so much that we didn't know. Going into, next, going into next year, it'll be different. What I use is what I call a series of leading indicators and lagging indicators. So I can sit there and measure, well, did we hit the number this month? Uh, are we going to hit it this quarter and so forth? But that's mostly after the fact. So if I could start taking a look at leading indicators such as you know, how many calls were made, weekly pipeline growth, new accounts added to the pipeline, both from an account level and from a dollar level. I could start to measure activity. And if I could see activity going in the right direction by rep, then I know ultimately we want to get to where we're going. And if we don't get there, then there's something else going on. Because I know we're doing all the right things, but the messaging is wrong, the, the audience is wrong or whatever. So I'm really looking forward to 2020 as a year where a, we blow out our numbers, obviously, but then also start to refine uh, our strategy in terms of uh, setting realistic goals and targets um, and appropriately and really understanding from a client standpoint. I mean, we have a subscription model here, so I really need to understand what is our average selling price? Uh, what does our churn look like? and worth. So those are all things that, uh, uh, that are coming. Yeah. You've, you've mentioned that you're a big believer in complete transparency. When you say that phrase, tell me what you mean and tell, and tell us why you think it's so important to helping motivate a team. Yeah, so I'll give you an example. All the startups that I've been at, there was always a question of, wow, could we go out of business tomorrow? Or, or just the opposite. We didn't even realize. Maybe I was the low man on the totem pole, and I didn't even realize that, hey, our money was running out or... We were on the verge of being sold. So I never knew what was going to happen from one day to the next. So when I got here, Avi and I decided to be very transparent with the team. And every time we have a board meeting, a quarterly board meeting, the following day, we'll have that same meeting with the team. And we'll go through everything. We'll go through the financials. We'll go through everything we've discussed with the board. And in essence, we treat the team, the sales, not the sales team, I'm sorry, the, uh, the company, like the board. And they can ask some very difficult questions. Sometimes we have answers, sometimes we don't. But I think it's really important for them to see, for example, how much money we have in the bank and what is our burn rate and make sure that everybody realizes, hey, you're a part of this, you're part of the team, you're vested in the company, you should know what's going on with the money and that when you sit down to uh, work in the morning, you know, what can you do or what do you need to do to make a contribution to the uh, company? And that starts at my level, that starts at the Obby's level, but it works all the way through the engineering team and the sales team and so forth. So that's just one good example. Do you believe in uh, transparency around salaries? That's just a, it's a controversial topic these days. Some people, there's companies out there that want to publish every single person's salary across the company. How do you feel about that? Yeah, um, no. Uh, well, so honestly, I haven't thought about it, but my gut says I'm not a fan just because... 
it could cause a lot of, uh, I can't think of the word, you know, well, certainly animosity in some cases, but just too much curiosity on the wrong thing. And I don't need somebody focused on what the next person makes. I'd rather have them focused on what's the potential that they can make and what's the potential to uh, help our company. So, yeah, uh, I think if I had the opportunity, I'd have to say no to that one. I agree with you, actually, but it's out there. People are talking about it. <laughs> Pat, um, it's been it's been amazing having you on the show. One of the things we like to do towards the end is just pay it forward. You already mentioned Bob Kerrigan. I think he's a mentor and a former your former boss and a founder. Who are some of the other folks that you think we should know about that have just had a, a big impact either on your career because you've known them, or maybe they've written books that you've you know that you've read, or or just people that you look up to. Who are some folks that you think we should know about? Well, one guy that I've actually lost touch with, well, I guess my first mentor, a guy by the name of Michael Kolowich. Michael was a senior VP of Lotus Marketing many years ago, and I believe now he's running a video production firm. He was my first mentor. He taught me what it meant to have a mentor. I had a huge ego and was a real jerk in my early 20s. Some would say I I still have that ego, but um, he taught me how to kind of tamp it down and really take advice and learn from others. So uh, he was a fantastic person. Uh, Another gentleman by the name of Bob Nolan actually came out of the military. He was another mentor in my early selling days. And he taught me also, hey, listen more than you talk and really understand what's going on around you, not only from the client, but when people are giving you advice, because it might not sound like advice at the time, but it'll come back at a, at, at various times and really be important to you. And then lastly, I'd like to give a shout out to a good friend and a business partner, Michael Bird. And Michael is the current president and uh, executive VP of Dun & Bradstreet's sales and marketing. Just a fantastic guy, somebody who lights up a room and is a phenomenal um, uh, leader and a real inspirational guy. Awesome. Last question. Are I assuming that folks are listening to this and they want to, maybe they want to work at Xylotech because it sounds like you're doing something interesting. Maybe they are a, an organization that has their data all out of whack and they need a CDP to organize it. Are you okay if people reach out to you and what's your preferred method of communication? Yeah, I am absolutely okay with that. Uh, we're always looking for qualified leads. So um, anybody can contact me directly. My Xylotech email is pat. Dot O'Brien, I'm sorry, Patrick.O'Brien at xylotech.com. Or they, there's numerous ways they can contact us through the website, you know, sales at xylotech.com. Awesome. Last question from my perspective, just because you're in New England, but, but you went to the University of Baltimore. Are you a sports fan? Are you a Baltimore sports fan? Or are you a New England sports fan? <laughs> the, uh, I guess it depends on who's playing and who's winning. Now, I'm a big time New England sports fan. I had uh, season tickets for the New England Patriots for many years, gave them up about seven years ago when I thought Tom Brady had passed his prime and was uh, about ready to hang it up. And little did I know he would go on to win three more Super Bowls. So I am absolutely a New England fan, both in football, baseball, and hockey. I just read an article that said maybe this year he's finally losing a step. Brady, how would you feel if, I guess, what's your opinion on him so far? They're they're still, I think... They still only have two losses. I think they're ten and two. And uh, what do you think? You think Brady should keep playing through next year? Yeah, absolutely. The if you compare him to the other quarterbacks in the league, he is still elite, and he would still be in the top five. 
and uh, paired with what I consider to be one of the best coaches ever in Bill Belichick. So, you know, he can keep playing as, as long as he's capable. But that being said, yeah, it'd be nice to have a good backup quarterback that we could look to in the near future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, uh, as a Washington area sports fan, I wish you nothing but the worst when it comes to sports, uh, but wish you <laughs> nothing but the best when it comes to, uh, the successes of Iowa Tech. Pat, thanks for being on the show. We'll talk to you on Friday for Friday fundamentals. Uh, but thanks so much for, for being with us today. Thank you, Sam. This has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Hey everybody, it's Sam's Corner. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Pat O'Brien. I think that, you know, for me, that there's one insight, there's one important insight that I got out of that interview, among many others. Uh, but but one of them is, you cannot drive alignment across your organization when you have different data. That sounds fairly straightforward. It sounds obvious, and yet, and yet, so many different organizations, the product team, sometimes the product team is even tracking revenue. Uh, the finance team's tracking revenue. The finance team's tracking commissions. The sales team is tracking commissions. The finance team has a revenue plan based on headcount. The sales team has a revenue plan based on opportunities. The marketing team. Here's the point. Whether you use Pat's solution or any other solution, there's a reason that there's been this massive kind of explosion of business intelligence tools all around creating some kind of data lake, some kind of place where you put all of your data, all of the different types of data that the product is generating, that your sales team is generating, that the finance team is generating, you put it in one place and hopefully, and I know this can be painful for those of us that have revenue operations reporting up through sales, but maybe just one team controls it and I would not go to war over who that team reports to. That is not a good political use of capital in my opinion, I could be wrong. The main important thing is that we are we are reporting the same data consistently over time. That's the main. And I don't care where the data comes from. If finance wants to own this all of the sales data, fine. But then I'm not going to do it. Finance is going to give it to me. But we're all going to use the same data. I am not creating separate reports while they are creating reports. And we go into the weekly meeting or the executive meeting, and three different people have three different reports, all on the same metric. What a shit show. We're not doing that. We're going to have one set of data. We're going to have one place where data is generated, and we're going to have one team that extracts the data, hopefully. Now, hopefully that team does not work on the product team because their sense of urgency sometimes is not quite the same. So I would appreciate it if that team reports either through a central ops team to the finance team themselves or up through the revenue organization. But regardless, the point is you cannot have alignment with different numbers for the same thing. We need one number for the same thing across the entire organization. Even if that number is wrong, it doesn't matter if the number is wrong. It means it just matters that we all have the same number. Then we can make decisions because really any number for anything, unless it's the cash balance in your checking account, in which case it does matter. But any number for anything really doesn't matter as a, as a specific number. What matters is the trend over time. So even if there's bias, even if it's wrong, as long as it's consistently wrong in the right way, we can measure it over time. We're looking for trends. Again, all of that, unless uh, it says zero in your checking account, at which case there are no more trends that are important because you're out of business. But those are just my thoughts. One set of data, one team to own the data. That team is a service provider and an SLA around urgency so that they can't tell you that it's going to take two weeks to generate your report because that's bullshit. You can see I'm, this is something I've discovered and stumbled into that I'm actually quite passionate about. Regardless, great interview with Pat. 
If you haven't listened to the Bells of St. Ignatius on Spotify, what are you waiting for? It's a fantastic song. If you haven't applied to Revenue Collective, what are you waiting for? It's the time where we're giving 50 bucks to Habitat for Humanity. And we want to thank our sponsors. We have two sponsors, DocuSign and, of course, Outreach, DocuSign, Execute Contracts, and Get to Revenue Faster with DocuSign. Used by employees at 90% of the Fortune 500. Who are the remaining 10% and why are they not using DocuSign? They have personality problems they need to address. Learn more at go.docusign.com forward slash sales hacker. Our second sponsor is Outreach, the leading sales engagement platform. If you want to reach out to me, you can. LinkedIn.com forward slash the word in forward slash Sam F. Jacobs. If you want to learn more about Revenue Collective, go to revenuecollective.com. I don't have any any other advice or directions for you. Please give us five on the iTunes store. There's one more. And I hope you have a happy holidays, whatever you celebrate or whether you choose to celebrate nothing at all. Hope it's been a great 2019.